0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. The Big Interview with Offscript.
1: We're hearing today from Johan Hari. He is the author of Stolen Focus, Why You Can't Pay
0: Attention. Let me guess, is it to do with this? And I'm holding up my iPhone.
1: Well, you know what? This is going to be the topic of our conversation today. But actually, he considers this technology only one of 12 different factors. Twelve. We will get into what those different factors are.
2: It's a 12-part interview.
1: (laughs) It could be. Would you like that?
2: I I Tell you what, if it's it's going to be useful, then why not?
1: Uh, How concerned are you about your attention and focus? Do you feel like... Because you're both people who have spent time writing, you know. There are things that you you require that you have to do that require a certain amount of focus. Do you feel like you've lost that at
0: all? A simple promo that goes out on the station (laughs) takes about 30 to 40 seconds. You should be able to write a promo, genuinely, in about three to five minutes. It takes me two and a half hours to put a promo together these days. That tells you all you need to know, Sonoropani. My focus is shot to bleep. And you guys I was know... going to say something else then.
1: <laughs> you guys know that this is something that really concerns me. I think about it a lot, about how to... Because it's almost like we're of that generation that remembers what it's like. We remember what it's like to be able to sit down and just read a book for hours or sit down and write something for hours without getting distracted at touching your phone. How often would you say you touch your phone on a, on a daily basis? Wow. I want to guess. I want a number.
0: I would say I touch my phone
1: 150 times. 150. Easy. Okay. Rob, your guess?
2: I mean, probably not that many, but, but too many far too many. Now
1: give me a number. How often do you think, if not you, on average, how often do you think people on average touch, touch their phones? your phone? Oh, In yeah, a day. maybe a hundred. A hundred is what Rob says. hundred and fifty is guess. what Chris says. Let's hear what our expert Johan Hari says.
3: The average is 2,617 and it's probably higher now because that's the figure from before the pandemic. And the reason <laughs> I wrote my book Stolen Focus is because I could feel That my attention was getting worse. With each year that passed, things that require deep focus that are so important to me, like reading a book, having a deep conversation, watching a film, were getting more and more like running up a down escalator. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I could still do them, but they were getting harder and harder. And, And I wanted to understand, well, what's happening to us? Why is it that the average American office worker now focuses on any one task for only three minutes? Why is it? that for every one child who was identified with serious attention problems when I was seven years old, there's now a hundred children who've been identified with that problem.
1: And so he said that he really took to this and he traveled around the world to interview 200 experts on attention and focus. And he said that there, kind of as he posited from his research, there are 12 factors that make your attention better or worse. And it's not just tech, as we've established. Um, You know, he mentioned everything from your diet. You think about the way you eat, right? He says, you know, when you have a sugary cereal in the morning and it spikes your kind of energy and you have these kind of highs and lows and crashes that we hear about. He says that affects your attention and your focus when you're talking about sleep. That's another thing that has a big thing to do with it when it comes down to the evidence and research. But I wanted to zone in on the tech because I figured that's scenario that a lot of people can relate to and really think of. I think general lifestyle choices are something we all know we need to be better about. Um, and he said the biggest thing he learned in all of this is that your attention didn't collapse. It's been stolen from you by these bigger forces. I asked him who the culprits are.
3: So there's lots of culprits. Um... We only have to listen to the words of many of the people involved. Sean Parker, one of the biggest initial investors in Facebook said, we designed Facebook to maximally invade people's attention. We knew what we were doing and we did it anyway. God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. That's that's what they say, right? We now have leaked data from within Facebook showing that they know they're destroying our collective attention and they're continuing to do it anyway. So, you know, it's interesting because When I began the research for the book, the story I had in my head was, oh, my attention has been ruined in two ways. I'm just not strong enough. I don't have good enough willpower. There's something wrong with me. And someone invented the smartphone, right? And actually, I later learned that those are ridiculously oversimplified stories. In fact, we can have all the technology we currently have, but if it's designed differently, and that will only happen if we make them do it, It doesn't have to be designed the way it is at the moment. At the moment it is designed to maximally invade our attention.
1: So I really resonated with that, this idea of blaming yourself, thinking I'm not strong enough. But how many times have you looked around and you've been in a restaurant and you've had one of those moments where literally everybody on every table is on their phone in some capacity and you have that kind of, you've talked about it, or I forget which one of you has talked about it, that moment where Michael Jordan is making some three-point throw and everybody now, today, would be looking at that moment through their phone. Exactly that. Back then, you know, people were actually immersed in that moment. It's one of
0: the great sporting pictures, it's Michael Jordan, his final shot, as he should Chicago Bulls player, it sealed a second three-peat for the Chicago Bulls, it's a shot against Utah Jazz, you've got the fans behind the basket, there is not one disposable camera, mm. there is not one iPhone, everyone is present in the moment and watching greatness. And the thing is, right. no one
2: re-watches the videos they take. Yeah. Who the heck re-watches videos they take on their phone at events? I don't. No. Nope. Everyone does it. Are you really re-watching? Just watch. It's great. It's in HD in front of you with your own eyes. No, those, Why would you re-watch it?
1: Those videos are not for you to re-watch. It's to share with everybody else to yeah. prove that you were there. We're there.
2: Right? But, but he yeah. says, he says it, the only way we can do it is make them stop. That's like making a fast food company mm. stop making its food calorific and, and high in salt and sugar. Or, or, a, or a soda company make it, you know, it's yeah. not going to happen. Well, the reason it's so addictive is because of that very thing.
1: Well, here's the thing, though. When you talk about a soda company, you can, as a government, if enough people want it and you think your constituents really care about this, you can put a limit on how much sugar. You have certain things that you can do, I suppose. And he's looking at this collective experience that we're going through in addition to coming up with suggestion, suggestions on an individual level thinking about how we need to band together to create a bit of a movement, to pay attention to the fact that we are losing our sense of attention and focus. So I think a lot of people have had these aha moments of, oh, wow, this feels a bit alarming, this direction that we're going in, where, where nobody seems to be paying attention. I asked him what made him embark on this journey in the first place.
3: You know, I've got a godson, I call him Adam in the book. When he was nine, He developed this um, brief but really intense obsession with Elvis, you know, the way kids do, uh, but get obsessed with things. And uh, it was particularly cute because he didn't know that Elvis had become a cheesy cliche. So he would sing like suspicious minds in this really good impersonation, absolutely sincerely. And every night when I tucked him in, he would get him to tell me the story of Elvis's life. I tried to skip over the bit at the end where Elvis, you know, dies on the toilet. And one night I was, t- I was telling him about where Elvis lived, Graceland, and he looked at me very intensely and he said, Johan, will you take me to Graceland one day? And I said, sure, knowing that like, you know, the way you do with nine year olds next week, it'll be Legoland. And he said, no, do you really promise you'll take me to Graceland? And I said, I absolutely promise. And I didn't think of it again for 10 years, until so many things had gone wrong he dropped out of school when he was 15 and by the time he was 19 he just spent all his time i mean I, i'm all his waking hours that's not an exaggeration alternating between his iphone and his ipad in this kind of blur of whatsapp youtube um, and it was like he was kind of whirring at the speed of snapchat where nothing still or serious could touch him and i remember one day we were sitting on my sofa I've been trying to talk to him all day and I just couldn't get any kind of traction in his mind. And to be totally honest with you, Sonal, I wasn't much better. I was staring at my own devices and I just thought, God, we can't live like this. And then I suddenly remembered this moment all those years before. And I said to him, Hey, let's go to Graceland. And he was like, what? He didn't even remember what this, this moment all those years before. And I said, no, look, Let's break this numbing routine. Let's go to Graceland. In fact, let's go all over the South. But you've got to promise me one thing, which is that when we go, you'll leave your phone in the hotel. You won't take it everywhere. And he said, and he thought about it, and I could see it excited something in him. And he said, "Yes, I'll do that." And two weeks later, we took off from London to to New Orleans. And a couple of weeks later, we we arrived in Graceland. And when you get to the gates of Graceland, this is even before COVID. There's no person to show you around anymore. What happens is you're handed an iPad and you put in earbuds, and the iPad shows you around. It says go left, go right. In every room you're in, it tells you a story about that room. And there's a picture of that room on the iPad in front of you. So what happens is everyone just walks around Graceland staring at their iPad, right? So kind of walking around, getting more and more tense because people are just not really looking around them. And we got to the jungle room, which was Elvis's favorite room in Graceland. It's full of fake plants. And this. Canadian couple was standing next to us and the husband turned to his wife and he said hey honey this is amazing look if you swipe left you can see the jungle room to the left and if you swipe right you can see the jungle room to the right and I I laughed I thought they were kidding And and I turned and they were just swiping back and forth
1: he said that he went up to them and said hey you know you don't have to look at the jungle room on your iPad because we're in it there's an old-fashioned form of swiping you can do. It's called turning, turning. your head, oh my <laughs> is what he says he said to them. And then he goes to find his godson, he tells me, to laugh about it. And he finds him in the corner on Snapchat, despite the promise that he had made, to no matter what, leave his phone behind. That was the prerequisite for them to go on this trip, if you remember from the story. Uh, and that's where he picks it up.
3: From the minute we landed, he could not stop. And I stormed up to him and I did that thing that's never a good thing to do with a teenager and tried to snatch the phone out of his hand. And I said, look, I know you're afraid of missing out, but this is guaranteeing that you'll miss out. You're not showing up to your own life. You're not present at your own existence. And he stormed off and I spent the rest of the day on my own in Memphis. And that night I found him in the Heartbreak Hotel, which is where we were staying up the street sitting by the swimming pool and he was staring at his phone. And I went up to him and I apologized. And he he didn't look up from Snapchat, but he said, I know something's really wrong here, but I don't know what it is. And I thought about how we we had tried to escape in order to become present, but this inability to be present had become universal, right? It was everywhere. It was all around us. It was everywhere we went. And that was when I thought, okay, I need to go to Silicon Valley to understand what's being done to him and to all of us. But I think it's like
2: other forms of addiction where the best method is cold turkey mm. and just to quit completely. And if you're if you're content with just moderating it or lessening it, you won't get off that addiction train.
1: But here's the thing. When it's a collective addiction and people aren't supporting you to break the addiction... When we all kind of deep down know we're addicted, but it's kind of socially accepted to be completely addicted, that, you know, if, and this came up when I said I was cons- kind of toying with getting off WhatsApp and we thought, well, what what are you going to do about your work WhatsApps? What are you going to do about this? It's something that people wouldn't necessarily support and say, yeah, break that addiction. It's healthy for you. Let's all try to break this addiction. It just doesn't happen.
2: Because the reality of you coming off WhatsApp, it means that you will miss out on opportunities. That's yeah. a, a, like Gary Vee. I'm reminded of our conversation with Gary Vee as he talked about embracing. He would be an interesting guy to debate this, this mm. guy, Johan, because he's the, he's the flip side of the coin. He embraces technology and he tries to see the positives in technology. And he would say to you, you're limiting yourself. If you live a life where you shun technology, you're limiting potential opportunities in the future.
1: And Gary Vee's whole point is just manage yourself better. You know, what? like he said to us, good parenting. Make sure you're still getting outside. Basically, vague, Basically have stronger willpower, which Johan's point is, is it's, this isn't about willpower. We're all facing the same struggle. We're all trying and not necessarily succeeding to a point that feels good. So he did say there he was going to Silicon Valley to find out what exactly was being done to all of us. So what did he find there?
3: It was interesting because I went and interviewed loads of the people who had been at the heart of creating apps and devices that obsess us and our children and i never forget dr james williams this moment he'd been at the heart of google and he spoke at a tech conference to the people who designed a lot of this stuff and he said to them if there's anyone here who wants to live in the world that we're creating put up your hand now and not one of them put up their hand These people are really uncomfortable with what they're doing. And I think we have to understand the underlying reason why they're doing it, because they're not evil people. Um, The underlying reason is very simple. Anyone listening, if you open Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, whatever, now, uh, I know this is a drive time show, so if you're driving, don't do it. Um, But if you open those apps, those apps start to make money in two ways. The first is really obvious. We all know about that. You see ads right? Okay, everyone knows how that works. The second way is much more important and much more valuable to them. Everything you do on these apps is scanned and sorted by their artificial intelligence algorithms to build up a profile of who you are. Everything you do, if you've ever clicked that you like, Bette Midler, Donald Trump, if you ever told your mother you just bought nappies, and they're building up this profile partly so they can sell that information to advertisers so they can target you because you're not their customer, the advertisers are their customer, you're the product they sell to their real customer, but also because they're figuring out what catches your attention so they can keep your attention going longer for a very simple reason. The more often you pick up your phone and the longer you scroll, the more money they make because the more ads they see and the more information they build up about you. So this is their business model entirely. All of their engineering power, all of their algorithms, all of their artificial intelligence, all of this genius in Silicon Valley is geared towards one thing and one thing only. Figuring out how can we get you to pick up your phone as often as possible and scroll as long as possible. So as Tristan Harris, one of the leading dissidents in Silicon Valley, put it to me. Look, you can try having willpower, but for every time you try and use your willpower, there are 10,000 engineers on the other side of the screen trying to break your willpower down.
1: It's really powerful, I think, that last quote. Because, again, I think we all think we should just be better. Like Gary Vee told us, let's just be stronger and just don't be on your phone the whole time. But it is, there, it is difficult for a lot of us for a reason. Um, and, yeah, he said it sounds daunting, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. And everything he was saying there it really reminded me of that documentary that alarmed everybody recently. I forgot. It was not The Social Network. It was The Social uh, Dilemma. The Social Dilemma. That's right. I never ended up watching it, but I heard enough about it that it was it kind of breaks that down for you, right, about how much you're being tracked about all the kind of different ways in which you're meant to get addicted to your phone and to the technology that's on it. And, you know, I remember everybody being so up in arms about it for all of two weeks, and then it's just forgotten. It's like anything.
0: Right? It's like anything. The 24-7 news cycle will do that to you.
1: Yeah, and he did say, as I mentioned, that there are solutions for all of the 12 different factors he's identified. He frames them from his point of view as defensive and offensive. He gave me a little example.
3: I have uh, something called a Save it's a plastic safe you take off the lid you put in your phone you put on the lid you turn the dial and it will lock your phone away for anything between five minutes and a whole day i will not sit down and watch a film with my partner unless we both imprison our phones i won't let my friends come around for dinner unless we all put our phones in the phone jail i'm only able to write because i imprison my phone right so i don't get interrupted um So that's one of many personal interventions we can do to protect ourselves and our kids. Um, I would recommend everyone with kids have one meal a night where you all put your phones in the case safe and you actually look into each other's eyes, right? Model this for your children. It's very hard at first, but the, the pleasures of focus are so great. I would say to anyone listening, think about anything you've ever achieved in your life that you're proud of, whether it's starting a business, being a good parent, learning to play the guitar, That thing that you're really proud of required a huge amount of focus and attention. And when focus and attention break down, your ability to achieve your goals and your ability to solve your problems breaks down. And when you start to get focus back, you start to get those powers back. So that's one level defense. But I would argue strongly, you know, I want to be honest with people. Those things are really important. They will hugely help. But on their own, they won't get us all the way back to attention. Because at the moment, It's like someone is pouring itching powder over us all day and then they're leaning forward and going, hey, buddy, you might want to learn how to meditate, then you wouldn't scratch so much. I mean, that's what annoys
2: me. Yeah. It's my Apple Watch telling me I need to go be more mindful. That, that, That was the first time I put it on as well. Yeah. Within five minutes of wearing it, went. Don't you think you should focus on mindfulness? Yeah. Well, no, you're deliberately trying to distract me exactly. from that. Exactly. You hypocrite Apple Watch.
1: Exactly. It is. It's there's something infuriating about that. The very device. Now let me
2: record my workout.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly what it is. You know, we talk there about going on the defense, which is taking your own actions, making sure you lock up your phone and make sure you don't use it. Uh, And this is specifically when we talk about technology. But he also says we have to go on the offense. And he used that analogy about somebody pouring itching powder on you. In this case, it's Robbie's Apple Watch. And then, you know, stopping him every now and then telling him to meditate and calm down. Um, He said we have to go on the offense against the people who are actually doing the pouring of the itching powder on us. And Rob made the point earlier of like, okay, what can we do when it comes to fast food, when it comes to certain industries where we know it's not good for us? What can we actually do about it? And he used an example. He harked back to a time when he said he was growing up. And you remember leaded products there was lead in paint. Mm. There was lead in sort of other products that we would use around the household. He said it was quite common. Research then showed how damaging it was specifically for our brains and for our attention. It was causing development issues. And Johan told me a group of mothers basically banded together and they didn't say ban all paint, but ban this specific component in these products. So kind of, that the lead is dangerous for us. Just take out the lead. And he used that as a relation to technology that we have. He says, you don't have to get rid of all social media, but let's change the way that it's designed.
0: Presented, designed and presented to us to keep us, because you said it earlier, it keeps us mindlessly scrolling, looking for that next hit, that next quirky well, that's video. That's robbing a it
2: of so much income, though, isn't it? The, 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 the gatekeepers of social media are not going to sign up for that. And if no one wants it badly enough, and frankly... I think it's going to take more than a small group of mothers to sort of rattle some chairs. Yeah. You,
0: if no, you saw uh, Connie McCarty on the warpath, <laughs> Robbie Greenfield, Vivian Greenfield, you know what Greenfield. I mean. though? It's,
2: it's it's people are just mindlessly going mm-hmm. along with this, and I, I'm not saying I'm not pointing a finger. I'm one of them, but we're all just sleepwalking into this oblivion.
1: And you know, Johann will put together a couple of ideas. As you said, the companies are not going to go for this, so he has some ideas of how to change the model. I'll admit. I think they're a little bit simplistic of what he's suggesting. I don't think it's, I think it's easier said than done, but let's hear what ideas he has for this.
3: Social media has many good qualities, but at the moment, it is specifically designed to maximally hack and invade our attention because of the business model. So I interviewed lots of people in Silicon Valley who said to me, like, for example, Asa Raskin, who invented a key part of how the internet works, said to me, look, if you want to solve this aspect of the attention crisis, the answer is really simple you've got to ban the current business model you've got to say that a business model based on secretly tracking and surveilling us in order to figure out the weaknesses in our attention and hack them is just fundamentally inhuman it's like the lead in lead paint we don't allow it and when asa said this to me and lots of other people it took me a while to get my head around it because i kept saying okay let's imagine let's imagine we do that what happens the next day we ban it right let's what happens the next day when i open facebook would it say Sorry, everyone, we've gone fishing. He said, No, of course not. They would have to move to a different business model. And everyone listening has an experience of the different business model. One is subscription. Okay, everyone knows how Netflix works, right? Or another option would be think about the sewage pipes. So we all pay to build the sewers together and we all own the sewers together. Everywhere in the world, sewers are owned by the citizens of that country. Now, it might be that, like, we want to own the sewage pipes together. We want to own the information pipes together because we're getting the equivalent of cholera for our attention. But the key thing to understand is whichever of those alternative models we choose, all the incentives change. Suddenly you become the customer. So they have to go, Oh, what does Sanal want? Sonal wants to be able to pay attention. Okay. Let's design Facebook not to hack her attention, but to heal her attention. Oh, let's design Facebook to get people to meet up offline. That's not technologically difficult. You could do that tomorrow, right? What we have to do is get the incentives there. And what I argue in the book is we need an attention movement to reclaim our minds. It requires a shift in psychology. We need to stop blaming ourselves. It's not that you just got weak or you got lazy. This is being done to all of us. And while we absolutely need to make individual changes in our lives, and I talk a lot about them in the book, we also need to not only ask for that, We are not medieval peasants begging at the court of King Zuckerberg for a few little crumbs of attention from his table. We own our own minds, and we can take them back if we want to.
0: The Offscript Podcast.
1: We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule, or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts.